All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. As a financial advisor, I talk to my clients about money all the time. And when it comes to money, there are many different elements. One could be how it's managed. One of it could be discussions that couples have about money. But behind the scenes, there is so much psychology to money. And with us today, I've invited Dr. Charles Chafin to join us to talk about this very, very topic. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's um, you know, I've seen a lot of your a lot of your work on LinkedIn, and I know you've you've specialized in this area. You've done so much work on it. Um, can maybe can for those that haven't heard of you, can you maybe give um, our listeners a bit of background about what you do, and I guess what what has brought you to this point, and even your most recent book as well. Yeah, happy to. Uh, so my area, I started in in education and and cognition, how we learn, and moved over to my research on attention, and uh, and still write in that that area. I have a book called Numb that just came out last year on attention, uh, and then I was with CFP Board, uh, the credentialing body for financial planners uh, in the United States, for twelve years, leading research activities and writing books for them. And you know, as and during that time, the whole notion of the not just behavioral finance, but the whole notion of psychology around money became a bigger and bigger issue for the profession and ultimately clients. And so we really started focusing on that. And I've been kind of transitioning a lot of my research and my work into, into that area and borrowing from lots of different branches of you know, cognitive and clinical psychology and whatnot. And uh, Left CFP board and 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 uh, wrote a book, co-authored a book with uh, Brad Klontz and Ted Klontz on uh, the psychology of financial planning, the the practitioner's guide to money and behavior. And we uh, not only do the book, but also have a number of educational programs for uh, for advisors and how to handle all of the different behaviors, conversations, and instincts that somehow relate to not only money but just individuals' uh, financial well being. Yeah, so I think for, for me it was probably in my second year of of it being an advisor where I realised there was more to money than I guess behaviour or, or how or, you know habits I should say like like for example I'd have clients I'd be I'd be showing them budgeting I'd be talking to them about how to structure bank accounts all these different things but then sometimes it just still wouldn't work like it just there's some there was always something holding them back from achieving it and and over time I slowly realised that it's there is so much more to it, and I mean, we hear all about you know the whole this whole relationship with money that people have, and a lot of it has to do with the way we were raised and how we feel about money as well. Um, I know it's a very very broad topic, and we can talk about this for hours. But could you maybe just probably touch on that topic and just explain why everybody treats money differently? Yeah, it's a it is a it's a huge question, and you know, at a thirty thousand foot level, you you start to think that, you know, we have all of these things working against us. It's amazing that we're able to get anywhere <laughs> when it comes to financial well being. Most notably, because 
you know, first and foremost, we still have, we, we have all of this, you know, your, your listeners right now have devices that they're listening to this on that it be, that the software gets updated regularly. Yet the most important piece of hardware that we all have, which is our brains, haven't been updated in 100,000 years. And that we have instincts based upon that, those, you know, those medieval brains, such as, you know, they're, they're designed for hunting and gathering and instant gratification and those types of things, which go against everything that's really important, that's, that's important to us in trying to be successful with money. And then you add to that not only instincts, but you add to what we call money scripts, which are basically these financial flashpoints that we have that, that, that Brad and, and Ted and I write about that, you know, certain things that we remember in our childhood that somehow impact the way we address money now. So that could be, you know, things as simple as, you know, rich people are, you might have heard a parent say rich people are bad or something like that. And that could create elements of guilt or overspending in those individuals as adults if they're, you know, if they're making money and whatnot. So we have a lot of things that work against us in trying to get in trying to to meet whatever financial goals that we have and that's not even getting into elements of the of the marriage or the 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 family element as well so we we uh in, in all of our work we we try to go ahead and identify all of the challenges but but come up with some solutions and and trying to address it yeah that, that, it's interesting that you mentioned that the money scripts the um you know th- things from childhood because it it does make sense um i mean to t- to the point where for example uh, some people may they'll grow up with an excuse um giving themselves i guess a, a reason to to not pursue wealth for example because it's it's just never it was always seen as like an evil topic for example or or something that you know oh yeah our family doesn't we don't we don't want that for example and it's and 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 I, and I find as well, and we've seen this all the time, but those that don't grow up with much are normally the most hungry in some cases as well. And, and I don't know; it, it could be just that they appreciate money more growing up, or or it could be that they, you know, that they just have different behaviors. But I've just found that there's a very big distinction as well between those that grow up with, you know, I guess you can say everything they wanted um, in those that grow up with many memories of not having much of what they wanted at all. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, I, I, my head immediately goes to kind of a, what we call a scarcity mindset of individuals who, who grew up without, without means in some way, shape or form. And that scarcity mindset, there's, there's lots of great research on scarcity, whether, whether it's related to money, whether it's related to time and meetings, it could be any number of things, but a scarcity mindset really is a lens by which we look at how we're going to spend our time, how we're going to spend our resources. And so if you grow up without means that affects how you save. It affects how you invest. It affects how, how you have money on hand. And, and in a lot of cases, there are lots of different factors here as we talked about. So I don't want to oversimplify this, but in a lot of cases, the folks that have a scarcity mindset and go on to you know, earn a little bit of money as adults, they tend to be the ones that they don't have a, a six or nine month uh, rainy day fund. They tend to have a 12 or 15 month Ready, ready to day fund, right? Because that's that's the mindset by which they're thinking about things. So, absolutely. And there's there's a great book actually called Scarcity 
Um, and I can send that over to you if you have show notes or whatnot. That's a really fascinating look at, at how we how we kind of look at when we have less and how that impacts our behaviors. Yeah. Okay. Because it's because even you're right in those cases. I feel like, and again, this is just talking to clients. I'm not a, not a expert in psychology in any way, shape, or form. But the impression that I get is that they're they're holding on to it because it's it's something that they never used to have. And I feel like. And I, I hear this from clients regularly, but there's even an anxiety sometimes when it comes to touching their money. So if they've built up the savings, for example, even when it comes to spending it on themselves or spending it on on something, there's literally an anxiety around even talking about money. So can you maybe just touch a little bit on that as well? Because even those that are listening to this that probably do experience that, just even talking about money with their partner or or with their financial advisor, what are some, I guess, a little bit of background as to maybe why they're feeling that way and and what they can possibly do to try to overcome that anxiety. Yeah, you know, and one of the one of the I, I think one of the primary tools to help with that it really comes from the from the world of positive psychology, which is a growing area of research. And and some of the things that positive psychology can give individuals who maybe are. I, I think about it as being kind of a little bit of a slave to their accounts, right? They're watching the numbers and they're and they're actually going without. And in some cases, you know, an extreme example is you have people who are living in poverty, but they're they're, they're not poor, <laughs> right? They 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 become so focused on accumulating wealth for the sake of accumulating wealth that they're actually going without. And so, what positive psychology could give us is really, you know, okay, what can that how can that wealth transfer to a life, a life well lived, right? Or goals that are met, you know? And so a lot of cases, what a, an advisor could do and something that, that we write about and we teach about is really, okay, where do we want to be in five years? Let's take the money out of it. What, 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 does a, what does a normal Tuesday look like for you? And it doesn't even have to be in retirement. It could be before retirement. And let's walk through what that day looks like and who's part of that, and then let's talk about how the means that this individual, this client, or this consumer has accumulated, how can it help achieve that? So now we're kind of, we're using that wealth as a, as a way, a, a powerful tool to get people to where they want to be, as opposed to really focusing on those numbers. So that's one of the primary areas. I, I think about positive psychology more than anything is let's, let's use this not, and that's why I, sometimes I don't like, and this is kind of controversial, by the way, but when you think about the term wealth management, it really isn't about wealth management. It's about managing the individual's life goals and their financial well-being as opposed to managing the wealth itself. So always thinking about it as a tool to, to a better life. And and, and I, I can very strongly agree with that because f- for me, it's about giving people clarity about what they want in life. And, and once they have that clarity, then everything else normally falls. It just becomes clearer because you know, money is money. And, and I say this regularly, even to, to my clients or to, to anyone that, you know, money is money, but without goals or without a purpose behind it, it, it literally means nothing. Because when do you stop saving? When do you stop working? Um, how much do you need to save? How much do you need to invest? Like it, it, it literally means nothing unless it's tied to those goals. And I, I like that you mentioned that five-year thing, because it's, it's sort of taking money away from the conversation for a second. It's just saying, look, put money aside. What would you like to, where would you like to be? And then as a financial advisor, I guess it's our job to bring money back into that picture and be like, okay, 
to do that, this is what you need, you know, um, because there might be some limiting beliefs around what they can and can't do. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and the, you know, the notion of, of goal setting, you know, the, and, and we talk about this a lot, you know, the advisor sometimes is the only person that asks a client, a human being, what do you want your life to be like? What, what are your goals? And so a lot of people haven't really examined it, right? They haven't really had that space to talk about not only where they want their life to be on a Tuesday, but where do they want their life to be, you know, in five years or where do they want their, where, what are their goals? What are their goals for their family and, and whatnot? And I, I think more and more, not just with the pandemic, but just although the pandemic's part of it, but more and more people are isolated and lonely and they're not getting that space to really reflect. And I think as advisors, it's really, it's no longer just about asking the question, but it's also giving that space to think about those big questions because it's not as if people are just articulating these things to themselves or other people. In many cases, they haven't even thought about it. And so I think there's an opportunity for people to really sit back and say, where, where do I want my life to be? And talk to their spouse or partner if they're if they're if they if they have that relationship in their life and say you know wh- where do we want this to go and be thoughtful and deliberate about it maybe for the first time. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free fifteen-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. And and I mean and on that point as well, you've probably seen this just as many times as myself, but. And this was actually half the reason I started this podcast show, but couples don't talk about money enough, I've found. You know, you th- they, they literally talk about everything else in their life, but they don't talk about money. And especially before marriage, you know, or, or before they get serious. And um, and even after, there are couples decades later after marriage that still have separate bank accounts and all the rest of it, which is okay, but they don't even talk about what they have and what the other person's doing and what they're working on together. Does that stem from a lot of what we just talked about? Yeah, I think it does. You know, I'm not a clinical psychologist uh, or, or work in the uh, marriage and family area. I do the, the research well and we write about it. And, um, and, and I do think it does. Uh, I think it, it also, there's an element in some cases too of, of shame in a lot of cases, particularly if, if one one of the members of the couple is bringing debt into the relationship, they may not want to disclose the credit card debt or even student loan debt or something like that, that that could be part of it. And then you also have, relative to what we talked about earlier, that you may have, you're going to likely have different financial flashpoints between that couple. There are different, different situations and experiences that each each person has been taught in that relationship relative to their upbringing about about wealth or about poverty or about investing or about saving and and whatnot and so you're likely as you said you're likely going to have issues there um and tied into all of that just to get the whole thing out on the table in a lot of cases people are more guarded about their financial information than they are their medical information Right, that, that is, it is such a such a seen as such a private element because there's elements of shame associated with it, or you know, people. In a lot of cases, you know, there's research that shows that you know, men in a lot of cases inflate their their earnings and whatnot to be more attractive to a potential bait. Well, at some point, 
you know, the rubber is going to hit the road at some point if the relationship continues on. So, you know, I think that one of the ways that you can start that process, again, this isn't my area, but one of the things that you can start that process is going back to what we just talked about. What are our goals together and what's it going to take for us to get there? You know, where do we want to be? Where do we want to live as a couple together in, in 10 or 15 years or in our retirement? And what's it going to take for us to do that? And that can begin that process. So now we're, we're, we're putting out a North Star for us as a couple. We're not thinking about our accounts or comparing accounts if we've got separate accounts and have never discussed that. But let's have our what our goals are together for one another and what's it going to take and how can we each contribute to, to meeting them. Yes. And, and I think that discussion will just develop over time and it just – the way I see it is as long as the dialogue is there and as long as it's being discussed, I feel like it will just naturally develop from there um, compared to not talking about it or not knowing where to start as well. Um, because sometimes when you ignore something or you, you – I guess when you're scared about talking about a topic, it's – sometimes there's that awkwardness. Okay, okay, how do we bring this up? What do we talk about? Or how do we start – Just it's just – I think just like anything in a relationship, it, it's just something that develops over time. As well, it does. You know, the you know the, the notion that and we write about this in the book and we talk about it. You know, this notion of financial infidelity though is significant. So, you know, what happens if and it, one of the members of the of the couple has debt that they haven't disclosed to the to their partner or spouse, or has another source of income that they haven't disclosed to a partner or spouse? And those are significant issues, and those are not necessarily you know normal issues, but. Those require, in a lot of cases anyway, those require uh, some professional assistance, maybe from a planner, maybe from a marriage and family therapist, maybe from a from from a, a, another therapist of some sorts. Those are those are are significantly challenging issues. But absolutely, back to the point, there's a you know there's got to be a point to begin that dialogue, and 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 to me, it seems that starting with goals is the best place because if you can. If it's a goal, it's something that you're both excited about in the relationship. That's that's great for the relationship on multiple fronts. But from a financial perspective, then it's like, okay, how can we both contribute to get to that exciting place that we both want to be? And that can at least start if if there if there is a breakdown in communication regarding money, that can at least really start to kind of kind of melt the ice, if you will, to to get to get both both uh, uh, both parts of the couple talking. Yeah, and, and I feel like having that discussion with someone's partner or even having it with their financial advisor, it will help them realize that there's more to it as well. Because, for example, there's some people might – not some, but we all have a different relationship with money. And many would feel like the way they feel about money is how it should be. You know, This is how it should be done or this is how money should be treated. And someone else might have a different idea of that. And um, many people probably don't realize – that it stems from their previous experiences or their life experience, and um, they think the other person's wrong, for example, and they don't realize that it's it's it is very very complex. Um, you know, it's like in, in a couple, a very typical scenario is where one of them, for example, would be a spender, and one of them's a saver. And I'll have clients tell me this: they say, "He's a spender, I'm a saver," or vice versa. You know, and they know it, and I feel like they just accept it. Many of the times, and they don't realize that maybe they can work on it, uh, or maybe there's a happy medium that they should try to find, and um, and I help them with that, of course. But there's, 
I could see that causing a lot of issues as well because if one, if they each just accept their relationship with money and says, no, nah, he's always going to be spending, I'm always going to be saving, I feel like that doesn't lead to a happy relationship. And it's in a way I see it as a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And, you know, my, my only friendly probably added to that is that, you know, they say they're accepting of it, right? They're, they're say, you know, they say that they've accepted that the other half is a spender or a saver or whatnot, whether they actually have accepted it or not uh, could be a different story. And, but it really is about finding this. And, it, and in those cases, it really is incumbent upon the advisor to really provide that space to, to, to kind of open up the dialogue and the advisor has to really work to, to engage both partners in that relationship together and they equally. So they both have to be in the room and they both have to be, they have to be contributing to that dialogue. Um, you know, you, you, you find with some advisors, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens all too frequently where there is this, you know, difference, one's a spender and one's a saver in the relationship. And the advisor's only talking to the the, the husband or, or just talking to the wife and not talking to both. And you, you have to invest the time, both as an advisor as well as a couple, in, in everybody being together to have the space to talk about these things. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I could not agree more. Um, and, 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 yeah, and if it, if that doesn't happen, it's, almost guaranteed to cause some sort of resentment um, if not straight away but or down the track you know where um and it's not functional like from a financial point of view it's it's like having two business owners one of them is doing things one way one is doing the doing it the other um, the business is either just going to be treading water or it's eventually going to sink it's it's never going to to excel or it's never going to improve yeah, it's not. And, you know, you look at the the research, which is, you know, tangentially related to what we're talking about, but there's lots of research on that, you know, the term they call the, you know, the household CFO, right? Which is essentially one person within the, within the relationship is handling all of the, all of the, all of the money. Um, and that has disastrous consequences as well, in the sense that what happens if, if the relationship ends due to death or divorce or separation or whatever it might be. And there are lots of data, particularly here in the States about how disastrous that is. You know, if the, if the CFO is no longer, if there's no longer a a household CFO and the one partners on their own, what tends to happen is you, you would think that that person says to themselves, well, I don't know a lot about this. I need to learn more. What tends to happen is that there's more avoidance. They actually start to avoid an advisor. They start to avoid uh, learning more even on the web or getting more resources. And, and of course, that makes a bad problem even worse. And so having that equal partnership, whether it's because one's a spender and one's a saver, or there's different financial flashpoints, or because that there's one member of the couple as the household CFO, having that equal relationship is is critical for happiness, but also it's it's a bit of an insurance policy in the event that that something happens in the relationship. That, that's that's true, and also the other side of it that I've seen this personally, um, you know, with some of my clients is where there is the CFO, um, and that person happens to be really bad at managing money, you know, or they or, or this <laughs> right. they don't have the skills essentially, you know, um, yeah. and then suddenly there's even more blame happening because the person that wasn't managing the money says, "Oh, you've stuffed things up," and then person that was managing it is like well didn't see you doing anything you know so it's 
yeah, so sometimes sometimes it's the one that's more skilled with money or enjoys money more that does become the the, the, C, the household CFO, but sometimes it's the one that pulls the short straw as well and that just decides to deal with it because the other person doesn't want to. And then suddenly you, it's like it's like the unwanted child in a way. <laughs> Each person's just passing it off to the other. It's, it's a great point. Yeah, in my scenario, I was assuming that the household CFO knew what they were doing, but your your point is incredibly well taken that in some cases, you know, the, the one partner just defers to the other and the other, the, the the one that's in charge doesn't really know what they're doing. And and yeah, and, and eventually if there's any kind of disaster down the road or goals aren't met, then it, it's surely not going to help the relationship. So a, another reason why there's, you know, there's a vested interest in this idea of, of money vigilance. You know, we're, we're responsible for that. It's no different than any of the other major behaviors that we take on in our lives. You know, if, if you're... If you're if you're dealing with with weight and you 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 want to want to lose weight on some level you're going to have to be vigilant you're going to have to weigh yourself you're going to have to see where you are and figure out where that goal is going to be is it losing five pounds ten pounds or whatever it might be but you have to you have to quantify that and you have to be vigilant and the same holds true with your with everything associated with money you've got to be vigilant on your spending. If you have any type of revolving debt of sorts or whatever that might be, there has to be an element of vigilance on both sides to to be responsible to to get where it is that you need to go. And uh, just for those listening to this episode thinking, okay, what are some things that I can do um, or what are some things that us as a couple can work on? Can you share a couple of probably quick wins you know, or a couple of just really simple ways for someone to improve or, or to work on? their relationship with money. Um, and I'm probably putting you on the spot here, but is there, is there one or two points or three points that sort of just come to mind that yeah, you think, I, generally speaking, most people need to sort of at least be aware of? Absolutely. I mean, we kind of, uh, we've kind of, I think there's two, uh, two big ones. The one we've kind of alluded to, and that is having goals. Uh, you know, what are your goals? Where do you, where do you want to be financially in, 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 you know, whatever given time horizon that you're going to, that you're going to take on? Um, not having goals is, is disastrous, right? Well, you know, it's no different than getting in a car and not having a destination. I mean, yeah, it's fun to go for a ride once in a while, but <laughs> what, where do you want to be? And then ultimately, you know, what's it going to take to get there? You know, the second element I, I really think about a lot is, you know, how can we eliminate the, the friction from the things that we should be doing financially and add friction the things that we shouldn't be doing financially. You know, we we live in a relatively frictionless world when it comes to our spending. There's an app for us to get everything. And so if we can add elements of friction to, you know, our our online spending apps of Amazon or whatever it might be, that's helpful, but on the on the contrary for when it comes to saving and investing, automated automated saving can really be helpful. How could we, you know, whether it's on a, some people do it on a daily basis or a monthly basis or whatever it might be that we're setting aside money into a certain account. And we can label that and use what we call mental accounting and identify different accounts relative to different goals. But whatever we can automate in good behavior, uh, good behaviors leading to our goals is going to be helpful 
as opposed to what, what tends to happen is life intervenes and we don't get there. So that I, I like to keep it short and short and sweet with things. So I, I would go with goals and automation for, for my two, uh, two big points today. Yeah, no, very, very handy. Honestly, very handy points. And I'd agree with both very strongly. It's, um, it's, it's sometimes in these situations as well, it's, it's keeping it simple. Um, it's not, complicating things too much and focusing on the small wins I've noticed um you know when it comes to looking at anyone's financial situation it's or looking at talking to a client about a budget that they've never had I find it it's baby steps in a way you know just to sort of keep it simple go for the quick wins first and I feel like momentum creates momentum and boosts confidence as well Absolutely. We, we start to see a change in behavior. And again, I, I think about that in terms of money. I think in terms of health, going back to this idea of the, this weight loss example, you, when you, you have a goal of losing weight and you make a behavior change of sorts, and then you weigh yourself a day, two days, a week later, and you see a result, you've lost a pound. There's nothing, there's no better feeling than going, my behavior change is working. What I'm doing is working. I haven't reached my goal yet. But I'm going to continue forward because what I'm doing is working. There's there's nothing better than that, and and we can see that too when it comes to, when it comes to even simple saving or starting a you know some sort of index fund where we're putting aside twenty five dollars a week or even a month to just start that process, begin, um, begin that journey uh, can be absolutely critical. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I guess if anybody wanted to contact you or if they wanted to learn more about your book or your books, I should say, um, what would you say is the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, it's been my pleasure to be here. You could visit psychologyoffinancialplanning.com to learn about our our, uh, our our new book coming out in September. It's available on Amazon or all the other platforms. Um and I uh, also have a book called Numb, which gets into the attention and information age. And you could find that at uh, charleschafin.com. Thank you. And I'm sure we'll probably have you back on the show at some stage in the future as well, because this discussion has been so insightful. Honestly, it's um, I get excited about it. And I know many people listening to it are probably having a few aha moments as they are listening to it as well. Um, so again, thank you so much. It really means a lot. And um, uh, I want to thank you as well for the, for the work that you do, um, helping people um, with this very, very topic. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and it's my pleasure to be happy to happy to return anytime. And, and hopefully, hopefully our chat was was helpful to folks. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases. And feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.